Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your guest host, Dr. Nicole Diddick. Like Dr. Leslie Kernison, I'm a practicing geriatrician. So that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. You can usually find me on my website, therinkle.ca. And I also have a YouTube channel called The Wrinkle. But I'm very happy to be guest hosting today to talk about an important issue that affects so many older adults. Leg swelling. The medical term for that is edema. Today, I'm going to demystify edema and explain how and why it happens. We'll talk about what the common causes of swollen legs are and how to prevent and treat leg swelling. I'll also give you some guidance about what to talk to your doctor about when you go in to talk about your swollen legs and before going on a water pill. Edema is the medical term for swelling. We usually use the term edema when it's palpable swelling or a swelling that you can feel when you press on the edematous limb. Swelling can be generalized, so it could be all over the body, or it can be localized to a single body part, like when there's an allergic reaction and only the throat or eye swell up. But in this article, we'll talk about edema that tends to happen in the lower limbs, the legs. Edema affects millions of people and can be a major risk factor for skin breakdown and reduced mobility. So it's more problematic than just making you buy new shoes. How does edema happen? Edema is when fluid moves outside of the blood vessels into what's called the interstitial space. And when this happens, it creates a swollen area under the skin. There are three main reasons why fluid can move into that interstitial space, and I'll talk about them briefly because it might come up again when we talk about treatment or causes of edema. So the fluid might move because the blood vessel is leaky and the fluid molecules can slip through the connections between the blood vessels, kind of like gaps in a wall. The second reason is if there's less protein in the blood vessel to keep the fluid inside. Fluid exerts what we call osmotic or oncotic pressure, and so if protein levels are low, then the fluid will tend to move across the blood vessel membrane and create that swelling. The third situation is when a blood vessel is just overloaded with too much fluid, and the fluid is forced across the membrane because of a high mechanical or hydrostatic pressure. So those are the three main reasons why we get edema. It could be that the blood vessel is leaky. It could be there's not enough protein inside to keep the fluid there. Or it could be that there's just too much volume and the fluid is forced outside of the blood vessel. And sometimes there's a combination of those processes. Normally the kidneys regulate body fluid levels by adjusting the amount of water and salt that's excreted or retained. But if those mechanisms fail or are overwhelmed, edema is the result. 
So keep those different mechanisms in mind when we talk about the causes of edema. And when we know the cause, that helps us to decide on the course of treatment. The most common cause of leg edema in older adults is chronic venous insufficiency, or CVI. That's the cause of edema in about 70% of seniors. The veins are the blood vessels that return blood to the heart so that it can be pumped to the lungs and get oxygen. Veins don't have muscles like arteries do, so they rely on a system of valves to keep the blood from flowing backwards in the wrong direction. Over time, these valves become less effective and blood can hang around in the veins longer than it needs to. That's a phenomenon called venous insufficiency. And this can lead to edema, but also other complications like varicose veins, phlebitis, which is vein inflammation, ulceration of the skin, and skin infections, which we would call cellulitis. CVI is common. It affects an estimated 7 million people worldwide and causes 3 million people to develop venous ulcers. Venous ulcers are the most common type of leg ulcers, and the cost of them to the U.S. healthcare system is 2 to $3 billion per year. So CVI is a big problem. Now, there are some risk factors for CVI, like an older age, a family history. So if your mom had varicose veins, you're more likely to have them too. If you do prolonged standing related to your work or some other reason, obesity and smoking are also risk factors, and so is a sedentary lifestyle. If a person has had a trauma to their lower extremity or if they've had a blood clot in that leg before, they're more likely to get chronic venous insufficiency as well. So a little bit later, I'll talk to you about what the treatment is for CVI, but let's cover a few other causes of edema first because they are important to rule out. Congestive heart failure is the most common cause of generalized edema. So if a person has edema of the legs, abdomen, lower back, um, or even higher up on the body, and it can cause edema in the legs too. I've been asked before if somebody's leg edema is likely to cause them to have heart problems or fluid in the lungs. And it's usually the other way around, actually. Heart failure is the term that we use when the heart muscle is weakened or not pumping blood as effectively as it should. The, um, the heart failure could be described as right-sided or left-sided, and that kind of refers to which chamber of the heart is most affected. It's called congestive heart failure because the backflow of the blood into the veins of the lungs usually causes a congested type of symptom with shortness of breath. If the blood is flowing back into the lungs, that's left-sided heart failure. And if the legs or the lower part of the body are more affected and swollen, then that's probably right-sided. But some people have both. In CHF, there's fluid congestion in the veins, but that's not the whole story. When CHF is chronic, lasting more than a few weeks, it reduces blood flow to the kidneys. And remember, the kidneys are important in regulating salt and water levels in the body. So in CHF, there's less blood flow to the kidneys, and the kidneys respond by causing retention of salt and fluid. So it can get into a bit of a cycle. That's why if there's edema associated with CHF, a water pill can be helpful. Other conditions, medical conditions, can cause leg edema as well. If there's pulmonary hypertension, significant kidney disease or liver disease, those can lead to leg edema. So your doctor will probably want to make sure that there's no evidence of that before they 
make a diagnosis of chronic venous insufficiency. In geriatrics, we love to look at people's medications, and there are some that can lead to leg edema. There's a few common groups of medications that are often the culprits. Some antihypertensives can lead to leg swelling. So um, calcium channel blockers like amlodipine are one of the major culprits. Hormones as well, especially things like prednisone, can lead to salt and fluid retention, which can lead to edema, and so can NSAIDs, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, so things like ibuprofen. So before you go to your doctor with your leg swelling, I'm going to give you these few little tips about what the doctor's probably going to want to know. So you can run through this little checklist and maybe um, have some of this information ready when you go to talk to the doctor about your swollen legs. The doctor will want to know how long the edema has been there, if it came on suddenly, and if it's painful. Now, chronic venous insufficiency can be painful. It gives people aching legs. It can cause skin changes and ulcers as well. But other kinds of edema are sometimes painless. Your doctor will, of course, want to know if you have liver disease, heart disease, or kidney disease, and might also ask about sleep apnea. Untreated sleep apnea can cause pulmonary hypertension, which can lead to that right-sided heart failure and the swollen legs. Your doctor will want to know what medications are being taken, and they'll probably ask you if it gets better overnight. Elevating your legs overnight helps the veins to return the blood to the heart more easily, so the swelling usually goes down after a night in bed. And your doctor might also want to know if you have a history of any kind of disease or radiation in the pelvis. And your pelvis might seem like it's far away from your legs, but the veins, when they're draining, they drain through the pelvis um, to get back to the heart. So if there's any kind of an obstruction or disease there, it might contribute to lower extremity swelling. Now, when you go to see the doctor, they'll probably press on the swollen area to see if there's what we call pitting edema. And the pitting is the little pit that's left behind when somebody presses on the swollen area. It's just like a little depression that's left behind for a few seconds to minutes. Most causes of edema are pitting, but if there is no pitting, then it might be due to lymphedema, which is a blockage of the lymphatic vessels, or a fat deposit, which is called lipedema. But those are less common. Your doctor will probably look at your legs, look at the skin there, look for any varicose veins or discoloration, any ulcers or skin dryness, and might also measure your legs to see if there's asymmetry. Your doctor will probably also want to check your heart and lungs. Now tests might be ordered. You might want to look at your blood count, your urinalysis, maybe check your kidney function, your thyroid function, because if your thyroid is underactive or very overactive. There are some types of leg swelling associated with that. They might check your protein level and do some heart and lung tests like an x-ray or an EKG or maybe even an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. They might do an ultrasound of your legs and that's a good way to look at whether or not there's a blockage there, which could be a, uh, a very serious concern. We'll talk about that later on when we talk about some red flags or signs that maybe you should worry about your leg swelling. So now let's talk about treatment. Of course, if your leg edema is related to heart failure or sleep apnea or some other serious condition, as we mentioned, your doctor will help you develop a treatment plan for that. But let's talk a little bit more about what if your edema is due to chronic venous insufficiency. Well, there are lots of things you can do that don't involve medication. 
wearing compression stockings can be very helpful. You can get compression stockings that are at a low pounds per square inch uh, pressure, so 15 to 20, usually at the pharmacy. But you might need, if you need more compression than that, then you might need to get specially fitted and order some custom socks. Your doctor will probably talk to you about reducing the amount of salt in your diet and maybe modifying your fluid intake. They might recommend that you exercise your calf muscles. And that could be things like walking or just flexing your ankles and circling them around if you don't have a chance to walk. You can do that when you're sitting there listening to a podcast, for example. One thing that can be very helpful is elevating the legs. So raising the legs to at least the level of the heart for 30 minutes, three or four times a day, will greatly reduce the amount of swelling that you get. Now, it's important to try to raise them at least to the heart level so that you really are helping that drainage of the veins back into the heart. And three or four times a day might seem like a lot, but if you're going to be seated um, for some other reason, then it might be something you could work into your routine. And don't neglect your skin. So venous ulcers can be a side effect um, or a, a complication of chronic venous insufficiency. And they may be more likely to occur if your skin integrity is not very good. So giving good moisturization to the skin, trying to prevent dryness and cracking, scratching, um, that will reduce the risk of ulcers. If you have an ulcer, the treatment might require a specialized team. So you might need a special wound care person to help you with dressings or other things like that. But it's much better, as always, to try to prevent that ulcer rather than treat it after it's happened. There are two kinds of medications that your doctor might recommend for chronic venous insufficiency. There are venoactive agents and antithrombotic agents. So the venoactive agents are things like flavonoids. And there are different kinds of flavonoids. Some of them you might have heard of, like pycnogenol, French maritime pine bark extract, grapeseed extract, or a micronized purified flavonoid fraction, or MPFF, and there's also horse chestnut seed extract. Now, most of these are available as dietary supplements or herbal, um, herbal uh, compounds. So the caveat there is that those are sometimes not as well regulated as medications that are uh, made by a pharmaceutical company and regulated as such. So it might be a little bit harder to know what you're getting and how much of it you're getting. Nonetheless, in clinical studies and meta-analysis, which is kind of a larger study of all of the smaller studies for these compounds, they've actually been shown to be effective in reducing pain and swelling, cramps, tired legs, and restless legs. So they have some effect on symptoms of chronic venous insufficiency. I had a hard time as well seeing if there were any serious side effects or drug interactions with these medications. Um, they seem to be fairly well tolerated. So it might be something that's worth trying. Now the antithrombotic agents, so that's things like aspirin, pentoxifilin, the uh, sulodexide, which is a glycosaminoglycan, prostacyclin analogs like iloprost. Um, those aren't things that I prescribe very often. And honestly, we really only use those if there's a significant uh, venous insufficiency such that the person might be having ulcers. They've been shown to um, speed the healing 
of ulcers, venous ulcers, which is very good. But of course, those medications can have side effects, like um, they can have stomach irritation or increase the risk of bleeding, because that's kind of what they do is they try, they reduce the viscosity of the blood. You know, we really use them if we feel like the benefit would outweigh the risk. Now, I didn't tell you how the venoactive agents work, but they seem to help by changing blood viscosity a little bit, but also they tend to increase the tone of the veins, so they help them to withstand the hydrostatic pressure a little bit more. They seem to make them less permeable, so there's less of that slipping through the cracks of the blood vessels. Um, so they act in a few, they're, they're thought to act in a few different ways. They also have some anti-inflammatory effect and they can improve the uh, lymphatic drainage. So they have a bunch of different uh, purported actions that make them helpful in chronic venous insufficiency. And if you do have an, a venous ulcer, that's almost like a whole other topic. There are some situations where you might need to worry about leg swelling. And one of them is that if you only have one swollen leg, um, most of the time, the causes that we've talked about for leg swelling would cause both of your legs to be affected. So if only one leg is swollen, then we might worry about a blood clot, which could be very harmful because in the leg, it usually doesn't do a lot of harm, but it could break off and travel to the lung and that could cause a severe illness or even death. So that's something that you don't want to miss. Swelling in one leg could be related to infection or a blockage that could be because of a tumor. So if you have swelling in one leg, then that's a reason to worry. If it happens very suddenly and it's associated with severe pain, as well as uh, heat and redness, then that's also a reason to seek help very quickly. What I want you to take away from today's podcast is that leg edema is very common. About 70% of the time, it's due to chronic venous insufficiency. But it's also important to rule out other important causes that could be related to the heart or lungs or other issues that might need more urgent attention. Chronic venous insufficiency can be treated with elevating the legs, using compression stockings, modifying salt intake, and exercise. And for some people, water pills might be helpful. But in many, they are not. And taking a water pill might actually have side effects that are not wanted. Taking a water pill can worsen urinary incontinence, for example. It can lead to dehydration. And some of the water pills have these anticholinergic side effects that geriatricians are so down on. They can reduce one of the brain chemicals called acetylcholine that is associated with alertness. So if you don't need a water pill, then it's best not to take it. You might find that your leg swelling gets a little bit better when you take a water pill, and that might be true. But it's not really getting at the issue, which is that the veins are insufficient. I would advise you to think about whether or not you really need that water pill before you start taking it. My advice would be to try those other lifestyle modifications before going straight to a water pill. Many of my patients are happy to know that they don't need a pill and that there are things that they can do to help their symptoms. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. 
I'll also be posting some links to some resources that will go into more detail on some of the things we talked about today. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwelleaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. If you've already done that, please leave a rating and a review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show on iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Dr. Nicole Didick, and you can find me answering the comments on Better Health While Aging and also at my website, thewrinkle.ca, and my YouTube channel of the same name. I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.